This morning we will be in the Gospel of John, John chapter 16. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, page 1000 in the Pew Bible, John 16. And we'll be beginning in verse 16. When you're there, say rejoice. All right, that's most everyone. John chapter 16. I heard laughter, so I'll give it a small moment. Not as many pages turning. Now we'll begin. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me? And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning again, Westside. We are glad that you are here. If it's your first time here, welcome. My name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. And as you can tell, we are in full swing of the Advent season. And um, maybe you didn't grow up in church, or maybe you did. You don't really know what Advent is. Um, in the Christian tradition, Advent is the season that prepares us for Christmas. So if you talk to some like real high church people, they'll get a little bit aggressive if you say Merry Christmas because they'll say it's not Christmas yet, right? It's not Christmas because we are leading to that moment of when we celebrate Christmas when Jesus has arrived. And the word Advent literally means the arrival of and so we say that we are awaiting the second coming of Jesus Christ. And there's really three things that, that we do during Advent. We look back to see what God has done. So we read those scriptures about the first birth narrative and the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus' first coming. And then we look around to see what God is currently doing. Because when Jesus came, he also brought the kingdom of God with him. And so now the kingdom of God has been established and initiated here on earth. And God is up to some things and he's doing some things. But we also look forward to see what God will do. Um, the early church celebrated this time of year and focused much more on the second coming of Jesus Christ than the first coming. And so we talked a few weeks back about how often the New Testament talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, and what we've done this year, we've just gone the classic Advent route. That there's a number of words that lead us and guide us each week. And so we've learned about hope, 
We said that hope is the confident assurance that what God has said will happen. That we as Christians have hope in a dark world. That God has not left us alone, but he's promised some things. And we are holding on to those promises to get us through. And then we've talked about love last week. And we talked about all the different words of love and how love means everything in our culture, which in turn means that love is actually not nothing in our culture. But the good news that we said last week is that Advent assures us that we don't achieve God's love. We receive it. Oh, that was a great spot for an amen, man. That's like our whole thing. That's like our whole thing right there. It's good news. So I'm going to read it again, and then you're in the sermon now. Ready? Advent assures us that we don't achieve God's love. We receive it. This is good news. It's not just good news for our relationship with our Heavenly Father, but we also said that this drastically changes our relationships with one another. That now we don't deal with people on a contractual basis. That if you do this, then I'll do this. And if you love me, then I'll love you and this, that, and the other. We said that love defined biblically is you before me. It is the self-sacrificing act of saying you before me. And we say the good news is, is that the burden of love is not placed on us. We don't have to drum up these feelings. We said that the culture tells us that love is a feeling. And we very simply ask this question. If love is a feeling, then what do I do if I don't feel loving? If love is a feeling, then that's bad news. That's not good news. But in this Advent season, we are flooded with the good news of the Bible that says love is not something that you achieve, it's something you receive. It's solely based upon God himself. And this week, um, our word is joy, as you could already tell. And let me tell you, just to say that joy is our theme, um, I almost literally feel bad for saying that. Because everywhere I look, um, I don't know about you, I don't see a lot of joy, okay? And especially this time of year, yes, it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. Um, but according to a lot of statistics, it's not. Um, here's a few. 88% um, of Americans are more stressed and anxious this time of year. 40% um, of Americans are seeking some sort of professional health um, in regards to mental health, to which I say yes and amen. And some of you in here need to be in that percentage, okay? Um, but there's something going on, right? Um, or how about this? 24% um, will be diagnosed with a serious mental health diagnosis. Um, just a few more. The average couple has seven major arguments during the holidays. Some of y'all are like, Psh, we got in eight on the way here, bro. You know what I'm saying, right? I mean, it's a Christmas list. It's to do. It's the plans on Christmas Day. We're going here. We're going there. It's a lot of stuff. But by far, the most important statistic is 42% um, of people will unbutton their pants after eating the Christmas meal, right? Just raise your hand and go ahead and confess. I'm in the 42%. And then some of you who are very um, forward thinkers, you're like, I wear sweatpants, bro. That's why you wear sweatpants, man, right? Pajamas. Listen, um, all of those stats tell me something. It says that there is something else at play during the holiday season. You know, in Christianity, we say that that we have a message, a good news, a gospel, if you will. But one of the things is, is that you are bombarded with gospels every day of your life. What I mean by that is the culture, whether it be advertisement, whether it be politics, no matter what it is, you are being preached at constantly through the week that this will give you joy. This will bring contentment. And, and I thought, man, what are some, some major killjoys 
in our life. And, and maybe for some of you, you, this will be helpful because this is language for you. Maybe you're experiencing some of these emotions or feelings, and you're like, man, I just don't know what's going on. And, and maybe it's one of these things. How about this? Um, unrealistic expectations. We say all the time at Westside that your expectations determine your experience. And one of the gospels that the world tells you is that your expectations are like through the roof. And, and we see this no more clearly than advertisements for kids' toys, right? And so the commercial's incredible. I mean, you know, the little four-wheeler comes along, and it's in the snow, and it's all of this stuff, and they're on a mountainside, and all of that stuff, and then you get it, and you're like, you got to put it together, and you're like, where's the mountain and the snow, and all of, like, the expectations for advertisements are through the roof, but I think the same thing is true for relationships as well, for all of those things. Unrealistic expectations will kill your joy. Or how about this? Um, unresolved conflict. Bingo. Now we're on it, right? We talked a few weeks back and just did a Thanksgiving sermon and, and talked about the reality of those um, unresolved conflicts that already have anxiety that you're going to have to sit around a table or be in a house with an individual that you haven't spoken with and you're not on good terms unresolved conflict will kill your joy. Or how about what the scriptures speak of, unconfessed sin. That, that trying to hide this thing or get a grip on this thing or think that you're the exception or that you've got it under control and the reality is is that you live in fear every day that you might be, quote, found out. You're having to feed that. You're having to live a certain way. And hey, listen, look up here. Can we just be honest? You're exhausted living that way. You're exhausted and you're looking for a way out, but you can't get out because then you've lived this way and people know you this way. And then if you're really honest about this, unconfessed sin will kill your joy. Or how about this last one? Unbearable suffering. And whether it's a diagnosis, whether it's cancer, mental health, whatever it is, whether it's the loss of a loved one. Hey, listen, um, I think probably in this room we're on this list, right? And the reality is, is because some of us are dealt this deck of cards, we do something. We do something in response of that. Because something in our life, whether it be our own choices or whether it be something we haven't asked for, when we are dealt that and it begins to kill our joy, what we do is we go on a journey. We go, okay, if, if this is what I've been dealt and this is what I'm feeling and I don't either want to feel this way or live this way, I'm going on a journey and I'm going to go find this joy. I'm going to go find this contentment. But herein lies another problem because I think there's a lot of roads on this journey. Um, I think a gospel that the culture tells us for a journey to joy is self-fulfillment. Do whatever makes you happy. Whatever craving you have, whatever you feel, feed that, do that, feel that. And, and you know what the Bible would say? The Bible would actually say that sin is pleasurable for a season. Herein lies the key phrase, for a season. Because then Monday comes and the shame and guilt. And let's just be honest. Our desires are out of control as human beings. And the world preaches the self. I believe this is one of the primary gospels that you hear every day of your life. That whatever you feel, do. And it's a constant journey. And let's be honest, how's that going for you? Because the reality is, is that desire is a black hole. And you're never going to be fulfilled. Or how about this one? Um, Self-denial, which is just the opposite, right? 
So, so now here we have what religion would call aestheticism. And I'm not talking about the Jesus saying, you know, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. I'm talking about the, um, I'm religious, I'm saved, and I'm mad about it, right? Which always confused me, right? Growing up, like, Jesus! And they're so mad. I'm like, why are you mad, man? Like, tell me about Jesus. And it's this, um, you know, I am my, I'm not going to have any fun, and I've got my stuff under control, and I'm disciplined, and I'm going to eat ramen noodles and sugar-free Kool-Aid for the rest of my life because I love God, man, because I love the Lord, right? Listen, I don't want to be friends with you, okay, right? Like, goodness gracious, and it's this, um, it's exhausting. It's like whack-a-mole all the time, you know, and, and that's what some of us think actually Christianity is. It's like um, wherever there's fun, you better knock it off, man. Like, I'll never forget Irma Bombeck, who was an author, said that um, while she was sitting in church one day, she saw a mother and a daughter. And uh, the daughter was probably about five years old, and she was squirming, doing her thing. She's five, you know, sitting in church. And she had turned around and was smiling at Irma and, and just having fun and talking to her. And the mom leaned over and said, you better turn around because there's no smiling in church. <laughs> what? 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 Right? What? But when we pause and think, I think that, and what Irma would go on to say is, um, that's a theological statement. And some of us think that. Self-fulfillment, self-denial, or how about this one, self-improvement. Um, by far the largest section in the book category in Amazon or in any bookstore is going to be the self-help section. And, and listen, I do actually believe that there's some things that we can do, emotional health, to bring awareness. And all, all of those things are good. Because there is a false gospel that says you don't have to change. You don't have to do anything. God loves you just the way you are. And hey, listen, that's a half-truth. Um, because God does love you the way you are. And by the way, he loves you too much to leave you there. That's horrible news to say to someone, that God just loves you the way you are and then the inner turmoil and the conflict that they feel. And, and what's so exhausting about this is um, there's always something to improve, right? That our lives are almost like the Tom Hanks movie, The Money Pit. Remember that? Remember that? Like, our life is always like that. And so now, man, we've been working on the marriage, and we've been, oh man, like, we're now in a seat, we have a date night now, and now things are going well, and work happens, and the kids happen, and, the, and, this, and there's always an area to self-improve. And you're constantly on this journey, walking this road, and joy is like a carrot that's dangling in front of you. And many of us just finally sit down and we say, you know what, I'm not going to get that carrot anymore. I'm exhausted and I'm done with this. Or how about the last one? Just self-expression. Just just be who you are and let it go, let it go, right? I mean, there's gospels being preached to our kids. I mean, there's all of, as, by the way, that is my audition as to why I'm not on the worship team, okay? Right, right? But it's this just be, and so it comes out in statements with a lot of head nods of like, this is just who I am, and this just, yeah, and that's why you have no friends, okay, right? Love you, love you, you're mean, all right, okay? Listen, all of us have experienced one or multiple or all of those killjoys. And what happens is we go on a journey for joy. And at the end of every one of those roads, there's no joy. There's no joy. And so some of us sit down and we bow out of the game and we shut down. We're removed. Or we just keep living in denial that maybe just I can... Um, Listen, here's one of the things that's, I think, very important to know. And this is wisdom from a church father, Thomas Aquinas. He says this, Man cannot live without joy. Therefore, when he is deprived of true spiritual joys, it is necessary that he become addicted to carnal pleasures. G.K. Chesterton would say it this way, every man who knocks on the door of the brothel is actually knocking, looking for God. It changes the game. 
when we actually now view what human beings do and why they do it. It's because there's been a disconnect from the eternal joy that we have been created for, and now we go and pursue lesser things. But can I say something here that I think is really important? Because sometimes in church, I do think that gospel message of there is no fun because we actually sing about it, about God's glory, right? It's all about God's glory. And and so what we think is, and listen, I think this is going to be a light bulb for many of us. We think that God's glory and our joy are opposed of each other. And so it's like, well... (laughs) You know, I got to give God his glory. And so I'm left with being unsatisfied in my life. What if I told you this, that our deep desire for joy and contentment is not a bad thing. It's not bad. It's misplaced. And here's what I mean by this. You were created for this joy. We as human beings, I mean, we've already established that there is a pursuit and a journey for it. It's because you were created for it. But the product of the fall of what the Bible would say, when everything went wrong in the world, um, how about this? How about a definition of sin? Because I, I don't think we're very clear on understanding that. We actually talked last week and said, Um, that sometimes on Hallmark cards or sweatshirts, it says, um, you know, you shall name him Jesus, God with us. And we're like, oh, oh, that's not the rest of the verse. It's not the whole verse, right? And Hobby Lobby's hijacked the Bible, man, okay? It says, you shall name him Jesus because, because, why are we going to name him Jesus? Because he will save the people from their sins, Hey, check this out. You ready? Um, I've been swearing this for years that I'm going to make a Christmas card that's going to be red and giant bold white letters. It's going to say, you are a sinner. (laughs) Merry Christmas from the Jordans. (laughs) Right? Um, But how about this? Sin is fulfilling legitimate needs illegitimate ways. That changes some things. That that rewires some things now. Because what we're understanding now is, oh, there are desires. There are needs. Hey, listen, belonging, security, significance, love, joy, those aren't bad things. How we go about fulfilling those most of the time become bad things. And by the way, idolatry, a lot of times when we read the Bible and we see in the Old Testament God talking about these idols, we think of like a carved granite statue of a cow or something like that. And we're like, man, we we don't struggle with that. Actually, idolatry most of the time is a good thing that we make a God thing. That's how we define idolatry. Idolatry is taking a good thing and making it a God thing. That's when it's a bad thing. Your family, good thing. Your career, good thing. Money, good thing. Anytime those become the end game of our joy, that's when they become a God thing. And by the way, that's why they crumble at the end. Because none of those things were made to bear the weight of our expectation and to satisfy us. So we've talked a lot about joy, but I think we do need to define it. I'm all about defining terms. So how about this? Joy is the supernatural delight that flows from following Jesus. That's joy. And, and, and we can get into distinguishing, you know, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Joy or happiness is external. Like, like, I understand all of that, but I think at a very simple definition Joy is the supernatural, okay? Listen, listen. You're not going to go down to Huck's, get a tank of gas and a fountain soda, bag of chips, and some joy, okay? That's not going to happen. Joy is a supernatural delight. I love that word, delight, in that flows from following Jesus. This is so important. 
If you are on a journey to find joy, joy doesn't happen that way. You'll never find it. Joy is a byproduct of something. And what we see in the scriptures is joy is a byproduct of a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what joy is. And listen, for us as Christians, this has to be our message. But unfortunately, I think if you surveyed um, the world and said, hey, use an adjective to describe Christians, joyful would not be on the top of the list, right? I mean, I think people know Christians as being baptized in lemon juice or something like that, just walking around not happy and not joyful. I love what Billy Sunday said. He was a country evangelist, and Billy Sunday said this, you got to say it in a country accent, right? If you have a lake in your joy, you know, if you have not joy and there's a lake in it, there's a lake in your Christianity somewhere, right? I love that so much. If you're a Christian and you don't have joy, there is a leak in your Christianity somewhere. Joy is supposed to be the mark of the kingdom of God. And I know what you're saying. Yeah, I will. I mean, you got any Bible verses for that? I do. I'm so glad you asked, right? Um, Romans chapter 14. Check this out. For the kingdom of God, this is big. When the Bible speaks like this, it's describing something to you. So, you know, we sit around and philosophize all the time. I wonder what the kingdom of God is like. And guys write these big fat books. And ooh, what's it? Well, the kingdom of God, um, it's not a matter of eating and drinking. Some of you are like, dang, man, right? Okay, he's talking about legalism here in the context. It's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, a right standing with God, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There it is, the supernatural. The kingdom of God is about joy. Or how about this? One of the prophecies about Jesus coming and the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion, here it is, with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy. Like, what's the difference in that? I don't even know. I don't even know what that means, but it's probably really joyful, right? Gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And every parent of a teenager said, amen. That sighing shall flee away, right? <sighs> okay, right? I mean, the Bible has a lot to say about this. Or how about we read it, the very message of Christmas. Remember the shepherds, they're in the field. And the angel said to them, fear not. This is really important. Um, anytime an angel showed up, the first thing they ever said to anybody was fear not. You know why? Because everybody thought they were dead <laughs> or they thought they were going to die because angels are not the hallmarky like floating on a cloud. They are glorious creatures created by God. And so the angel says, fear not for behold, I bring you something and it's good news. What's the good news? It's of great joy, megas, mega joy. And what's the joy? That there will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I mean, meditate on that verse. Like, like this is a great way to soak in the scriptures. If you meditated on this verse, you would come up with a number of things. You can do this. You would go, huh, fear not, great joy. That tells me something, that fear and joy can't be in the same room together. That they were afraid, but the angel says no. And then he says, I bring it to you, which means they didn't have it. So again, joy is, is supernatural, and it's good news. Well, well who's the joy for? Oh, that, that's a great question. It's actually going to be for all people. It's, it, it's for everybody. And what's the good news? Um, there's born in the city of David, Christ the Messiah. The hero has come. The author of the story has wrote himself into it now. So what is our big idea and thesis for today when it comes to joy? 
um, I, think, I think we've done enough work to get there now, and I think it's this. Advent announces that joy doesn't come from us. Joy comes to us in Jesus. And hey, listen, that's really good news. I don't know if you've picked up on a theme through this Advent season, but man, we're realizing that our relationship with God is really one-sided. And what I mean by that is it doesn't depend on you, but it's good news because God's doing all of the heavy lifting. Amen? And so listen, the burden that some of us feel to create this and to drum up these feelings and in the midst of suffering or unresolved conflict or horrible decisions that we've made because of self-fulfillment, all of that is burdensome. That's bad news. It's not good news. The good news is that Advent announces, it declares something, and it declares that joy is brought to you. That, listen, all other religions in the world say if you do this, and say this prayer and light this incense and journey to this place once a year and do all of this, maybe, just maybe, it's not a guarantee, but maybe you can make your way up the proverbial mountain and you can know a little bit of the mystery of this God and who God is. And what Christianity says is the God of the mountain has climbed down the mountain and comes to you. God chases you down. Last week we said that C.S. Lewis uh, said it this way, that it's the hound of heaven that tracks us down and finds us. Man, this is good news. I could do something right here, and I've been really conflicted this week. I could go a couple ways in the sermon now. Now we've got the big idea established. We've looked at what the culture is telling us. We've looked at what the Bible has told us. We've boiled that down to a sentence. And normally, what I would do now is dive kind of right into the text and walk through some application points for us. But I couldn't get away from something. Um, if joy is a really big deal, and if the kingdom of God is about joy, and if the message of Christmas is megas joy, mega joy then that means that God is joyful. But I don't think that for a majority, I'm just going out on a limb here, I don't think a majority of us picture God in our heart or in our mind that way. I think that, that when we think of God the Father, creator of the cosmos, God himself, we probably think of more something that looks like this rather than the scriptures, right? You know, old man winter, if you will, like this. Um, uh, well, if, if I were to ask you, God is, God is, and, and had you maybe just complete the sentence, I think we would get a number of answers, right? I, um, God is holy. Well, duh, yeah, right? I mean, the angels, it says, never stop saying that day and night. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. His whole earth, the whole earth is full of his glory. Yes, God is absolutely holy. Or how about this statement? Um, God is just, right? And, and man, for some of us, that brings a lot of comfort. That, that when, hey, this is another good spot for an amen. Are you ready? You had enough coffee? Um, whenever Jesus comes back, Jesus is going to make every wrong right again. The justice of God is coming. Man, amen. God is just. How about this? God is powerful, right? Or as Piper Graham says, I bet God could lift up this whole house. I bet God could lift up this whole house, right? God is powerful, man. Or how about this one? God is all-knowing. Theologians love talking about this. All-powerful, he's sufficient, all-knowing, the omnis, right, the omnipresent, all of that type of stuff. Listen, all of these are true, but, but can I say this? All of these left on their own is not good news for us. If God is holy and he is just holy, 
then we have a holy and righteous God that is separated from a broken creation. If God is just, then God has a gavel and some scales in his hands. And if that's all he is, then he is going around whacking injustice everywhere. And that's not good news because we are lawbreakers. If God is all-powerful, then that's kind of scary because he might be like a bull in a china cabinet. And if God is just all-knowing, then he knows all of the bad that I've ever done and that I will do. Um, What about this? What if the primary theological statement that came to your mind when it was God is, you said God is glad. God is glad. I think that would probably be the least descriptive word that we would use to describe God. But when I look in, I was so taken back by that this week that the Bible is constantly talking about how joyful God is. Um, One verse, man, that is so important. Zephaniah 3.17. The book Zephaniah is the part in your Bible where the pages are stuck together. You're like, Zephah, what? Right? Listen to this. The Lord your God is in your midst. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Because, like, if God is only all those things that we just talked about, and if he's in our midst, I don't know if that's good news. That's why the shepherds freaked out, okay? The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over who? Oh, no, 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 no. Don't let the guilt and shame hold you back from saying it. Say it out loud. He will rejoice over you. No, no, no. No, no, no. You're still not tracking with me. Not, you know, Ned Flanders who has it all together. That's who you think. God's pleased with them, not me. Not according to Zephaniah 3.17. God will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And then I love this. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Loud singing, okay? So for all of you who think the music's too loud, God's loud, okay? I just needed to get that out of my system, all right? Have you ever thought about God singing? Because he does. And he sings over you. Think about this. Parents do this with their kids. Hey, hey, it's your birthday. Hey, right? Well, because we love our kids and we're having fun. And this is great. And the picture that Zephaniah tells us is that God is a heavenly father that loves his kids so much that he is so glad and excited to see them that he sings over them. Is this your picture of God? Like, anytime I pick up my kids from school, I love that moment whenever they're looking for you in the parking lot, and then they see you, and you see them, and they smile, and they run to your car. Sometimes they almost bust their face, and you're like, don't run, or something like that. But there's that joy that you have. Hey, listen, listen. Did you know that God's that way with you? Listen, we've got to get here. We've got to get here to this understanding because if you don't believe that, then your journey will take you everywhere else but to God. Because I think a lot of us, even Christians, even Christians know, like, I know that I'm supposed to believe that God saved me. I know, on a, on a hill 2,000 years ago, Calvary, all that. Like, I know all of that. Pastor, I know God saved me, but I just don't think he really likes me. I think that's how we primarily operate. And what the Bible is saying is, no, he saved you because he delights in you. He loves you. And to the point that he is singing over you, our God is glad. Or how about this prophecy in Isaiah? But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy 
and her people to be gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Do you know what God is saying? The reason why I chose Jerusalem and I created Jerusalem is that there would be so much joy and gladness there that the rest of the world would look at those people and say, there's something different about them. And did you know that that's the same plan for the church of Jesus Christ? That we of all people, if our God is glad and joyful, we are to be a people marked by joy. And for the rest of the world to look at us and say, we want what they have. Or how about this last one? I love what Paul says in 1 Timothy. Oh, oh check this out. I, I forgot about this. this. is one of the best verses, right? Psalm 16. You make known to me the path of life. Here it is. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In the original language, that's completeness of joy. Literally, that the end all be all joy is in the presence of God. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures at God's right hand. In his presence, there is joy. Are you getting the picture that the Bible is saying of this God? And then lastly, this. This is probably one of the most blatant descriptions of God being glad. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, the glorious gospel and the blessed God. Um, Jesus uses this word blessed. It's markarios in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember? Remember those? Blessed are those who um, are poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Do you know what the literal translation of the word blessed is? Happy. So let's read it again. The glorious gospel of the happy God. Guys, this is our God. This is the God of the scriptures. And Advent announces that this God comes to us. So what we are left with and what we are charged to do now is we have to dismantle the false view of God that we've had. Because some of us in here have questions. And I'm so glad you have questions. Because if you have questions, then you're in pursuit of something. And oftentimes when I sit down with people who reject Christianity or reject the Bible or reject God and I have them explain to me what they think the gospel is or who God is, I always get the holy, the just, maybe even the angry and all of that. But I never, I never have somebody say, oh yeah, Christianity, I don't believe Christianity, man. I don't believe the happy God. I've never had anybody describe that God. This does something to us. And I love what Dr. John Piper says in his book, The Pleasures of God. If you want an in-depth study about this, this is the book for you. But listen, it is good news that God is gloriously happy. No one would want to spend eternity with an unhappy God. If God is unhappy, then the goal of the gospel is not a happy goal. And that means it would be no gospel or good news at all. But in fact, Jesus invites us to spend eternity with a happy God when he says, enter into the joy of your master. Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. Our God is a joy-filled God. And what our God wants is to be in a relationship with you to experience that joy. That's the essence of Advent. So when we come to this text, Jesus is with his disciples. It's the last night, less than 24 hours. Jesus is going to be in a circumstance that we would say is impossible to be joyful. He is going to be nailed to a cross. And by the way, this week, this isn't even in my notes. Um, they just found through archaeology one of the first bones over in the Roman providence that has an actual nail nailed through the ankle bones. And it's almost a complete skeleton of 
someone who is crucified under Roman execution. So it just solidifies the Bible more and more and more. But it was by far the worst death than anyone could experience. And he talks to his disciples about joy. Um, John uses joy more than any other gospel writer. Joy. The supernatural delight that flows from following Jesus. In this passage alone, he uses it one, two, three, four, five, six times John says the word joy. So just real quick, what is joy with Jesus? Well, joy with Jesus is, number one, it's certain. Look at what he says in verse 20. Do you see that there in your Bible? You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. Oh, I love God's shalls and wills. There is nothing comparable to them. Let a man say, shall, and what is it good for? Or I will, says a man, and he never performs his promise. I shall, says he, and he breaks his promises. But it is never so with God's shalls. If he says shall, it shall be. When he says will, it will be. And now he has said here, any shall come to me. And the devil says they shall not come, but they shall come. Their sins say you can't come, but God says you shall come. You yourselves say I can't come. And God says you will come. That is a promise of God. And he says that joy with me is certain. But the second thing that he says is that it's secure. That it's secure. He says that nobody, in verse 22, I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one, no one will take your joy from you. That is a promise that the world cannot make or deliver on. Joy in everything else that the world promises you is fleeting. And then the last thing that he says in verse 24 is ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Full. The word literally means matured or complete. The world doesn't offer that. Listen, I don't care what it is, if it's a relationship or what. Do you know what the world offers you? The world, the world offers you joy about like a potato chip bag. Just follow me here. You see the potato chip bag, and it looks like that sucker is bursting, right? And you just paid $7 for a bag of fried potato skins, all right? And you open that bag, and there's not a fourth of potato chips in that bag at all. You're like, what in the world, man? It should be illegal, right? Jesus says, no, 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 there's no half-hearted joy with me. So in closing, listen, what is joy? It's the supernatural delight that flows from following Jesus. You are bombarded with a gospel message every day of your life promising you joy. And some of us, listen, if we can be honest with ourselves, we are on a journey and we are on one of those paths of self-fulfillment, self-improvement, or something like that, and we are exhausted and some of us in here are even Christians. And we read our Bible and we pray. And we're exhausted because we think the joy depends on us. So I know the question that you have. The question that you have is, how do I get it? How do I get it? I'm so glad you asked because Jesus tells us in the very last verse. He says this. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. But now, listen, listen. It's dangerous to ask. Do you know why? Because if you ask God for the supernatural delight in Him, you have to lay down what else you've been finding joy in. You see, why do you think Jesus asks the lame beggar, what do you want me to do for you? Um, I'm lame and I haven't walked in 30 years, right? What's Jesus asking him? No, no, no. 
Jesus is asking him this, are you ready for your whole life to change? Because you've never worked before. Because you've never had these relationships before. And if I heal you, everything changes. Hey, do you want joy in your marriage? Ask God for it. But also be ready to go a place that you've never gone before. Do you want joy in relationships and at work or this, that, and the other? Ask God for it. He will deliver it. And he will take you in a place that you've never gone. And that is discipleship. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. So here's what I want to do. Remain seated. Remain where you're at. And what I want us to do is I want us to read this prayer together out loud. And just ask God for this joy. This will be on our social media this week. I want you to pray this prayer one, two times a day in the morning before you start the day and at the end of the day when you're going to rest. But Westside, lift up your voices and let us pray this out loud together. Lift up your voices. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for your goodness and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Father, we ask in Jesus' name, that you would give us the supernatural joy that only flows from you. Father, forgive us for pursuing joy everywhere else but in you. May earthly pleasures fade away in the presence of your joy. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today and we come before you as a weary people. I'm reminded of the carol that says, a weary world rejoices. And why are we weary? We are weary because we have been pursuing this joy everywhere. And there is a wake of devastation left behind us. But God, today, may today be a pillar point in someone's life. May today be the day when they lay down the lesser joys and we pick up the supernatural delight that flows from following you. God, we are scared. That's why the angel says, fear not. But we know this, that you are batting a thousand on all your promises. God, you've never dropped one promise. And today, we declare with a defiant joy to the rest of the world that our God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. And Jesus said that you would die on the cross and three days later you would rise again. And we stand as your people in a dark world with the light in our hand and say, our God reigns. Our God reigns. God, today, convict those who need convicting. Comfort those who need comforting. But compel us all towards the joy that you have, which is found in you. We do exactly as your word says today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?